From the Kennan Institute in Washington, D.C., welcome to Kennan X, a podcast on our never-ending quest to understand Russia, Ukraine, and the surrounding region. I'm your host, Jill Doherty. At this very moment, as you're listening to this, there are approximately 1,500 Russian nuclear warheads aimed at the United States. The U.S. has about the same number aimed at Russia. Each warhead is 3,000 times more powerful than the atom bomb dropped on Hiroshima. Hundreds of those nuclear weapons are on hair-trigger alert, ready to be launched within just minutes. It is estimated that there will be more than 90 million people dead and injured within the first few hours of the conflict. To understand what a nuclear war between Russia and the U.S. would mean, we watched Plan A, a video made by Princeton University's program on science and global security. It begins with Russia firing a warning shot from Kaliningrad to stop a NATO advance. It quickly escalates. Europe is destroyed. It ends with multiple warheads raining down on targeted cities across Russia and America. Warning time for the intercontinental systems, the ones that fly between the Russian territory and U.S. territory or vice versa, is closer to 25 minutes. But that's cold comfort because that's very, very little warning time. That's Rose Gottmiller, former Deputy Secretary General of NATO. She knows a lot about nuclear weapons. She was chief U.S. negotiator for the New START arms control agreement signed in 2010 by President Barack Obama and Russia's president at the time, Dmitry Medvedev. And here in the studio with her is John Byerly, U.S. ambassador to Russia during the period the New START agreement was negotiated. They're both worried. New START is a last remaining arms control agreement between Russia and the U.S., and it expires in February 2021. The Trump administration isn't saying yet whether it wants to extend it, as the agreement permits, or let it die. It's a matter of stability and security for the United States. I feel really strongly about that. It gives the world a lot more assurance that these two nuclear powers that together are responsible for 90 percent of the nuclear weapons on the face of the earth can get beyond their differences in other areas and focus on getting something done that matters for the whole world. This is really, I think, a moral responsibility that Russia and the United States share. All of our proposals to renew this treaty are on the table. So far, we have not received any response from our partners. On December 5, 2019, President Putin said he wants to extend it. Russia is willing to immediately, as soon as possible, before the year is out, renew this treaty without any preconditions. I am stating this officially so that there are no double or triple interpretations of our position later on. In 1986, at the height of the Cold War, there were more than 70,000 nuclear weapons in the world, almost all of them in the hands of Russia and America. Thanks mainly to arms control treaties, that's down to over 13,000, enough to destroy the world. But thanks to the New START agreement, each country, Russia and the U.S., is limited to 1,550 deployed warheads. That means they're on top of missiles and submarines and on bombers. But each side has thousands more in storage. 
if New START goes away, suddenly the Russians could deploy a lot more warheads, maybe double that number, and they have them in storage. They could do it, and they could do it rather quickly. So it would be a problem for us, for our Department of Defense, to suddenly have to deal with targeting so many more warheads on the Russian side. President Trump says he wants a treaty that would include China. But China says it's not interested. It has less than 500 nuclear warheads. Here's Ambassador John Barley. We certainly want the arms control regime to encompass and include countries like China as they build up their nuclear arsenals. But we're not at the point where we can do that right now. And the treaty is like a clock that's ticking. It's going to expire in a year. And if you want the greater global security that comes from larger capture of weapon systems or including countries like China, the path to that greater global strategic stability runs through the New START Treaty, not around it. And Rose, let's say if you followed what some people want, just let it die and start over. How easy or hard is it just to start over? Well, that argument seems rather silly to me, to be honest, because we have, as John mentioned, a treaty that is working now with a verification regime that has been very successful in monitoring and inspections, ensuring that we know on a day-to-day basis, because the Russians notify us about what's going on with their nuclear arsenal, we know on a day-in, day-out basis where their nuclear weapon systems are located and what they're doing with them. So why would you throw that out the window if you have that kind of 24-7 real-time understanding and knowledge? Of course, it's reciprocal. They know that the same thing about our arsenal, but that's stabilizing. That helps the two of us to have mutual confidence and trust. As to the future, I agree with John. I think it would be absolutely great to get other nuclear powers, China, the South Asians, India and Pakistan engaged. But bear in mind that the United States and Russia still have the vast majority of nuclear weapons in the world. And yet some people would say, but the Russians cheat. Maybe not on this agreement, but they have cheated on other agreements. They have indeed, and I was very wrapped up in the violation of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty that led uh, the Trump administration to withdraw from the treaty this past summer. I was at NATO at the time. All the NATO allies supported that because the Russians were violating that treaty. But they have not been violating New START, and that is clear. The U.S. government has determined that time and again. They continue to implement the treaty, and as I said, it gives us eyes on exactly what they're doing with their nuclear weapon systems, and to my mind, that's very very much in our interest. By the way, the treaty as it exists will constrain some of these new systems, the so-called SARMOT heavy ICBM intercontinental ballistic missile, and also the hypersonic glide vehicle, which is a brand new system called the avant-garde, but is launched on an existing type of ICBM. And so both of those will fall under the treaty without any further negotiation. And the Russians have made that clear. And John, kind of notably, just very recently, President Putin came out with a statement essentially saying, let's extend New START, make me an offer, no preconditions, let's do it by the end of the year. Why do you think he came out at this particular moment and said that? Well, I think there are a couple of things at play here. As the Russians look at the political turmoil in the United States right now, they see a lot of unpredictability. And the Russians value predictability above almost anything else on this particular issue because it's an issue of existential concern for them. 
But, you know, I would point to another reason why this is happening at a kind of disquieting time, not just for the Russians, but for us and for the world. There was a taboo for a long time about public boasting about your nuclear arsenals. That taboo really has been broken. We have Kim Jong-un, who's talking about the nuclear button that's on his desk. And then we have President Trump saying, I have a button, but my button is bigger. Well, you expect that kind of irresponsible braggadocio from the North Korean leader. It was very, I think, unfortunate to hear it from the American president. But Putin himself over the last two years has boasted about new systems that Russia is developing that can and he even said, I think, would directly threaten the United States. We don't need that kind of talk going on at a time when the relationship, especially between Russia and the United States in terms of engagement, trust, mutual contacts is as low as I can remember seeing it for the last 15 or 20 years. So all of this puts an impetus on both sides and I think President Putin feels that especially strongly. Hopefully, President Trump will also see his way clear to moving forward on this. Rose, this idea, maybe it's a more popular idea or popular in the sense of non-experts, but the idea that, well, look, the United States, quote, outspent Russia during the Cold War and that won the Cold War. And why can't we, actually, as President Trump, I think himself has said, have the best nuclear system in the world. I already think we have the best nuclear systems in the world, no question about it. But the question is, where do you want to put your resources? And for our Department of Defense, they have got a lot of work to do to incorporate new and emerging technologies into our military weapon systems and operations. They have to worry about where artificial intelligence is taking us. You got to remember that nuclear technology, nuclear weapons technology is 60 years old at this point. And I really think of it as an old technology technology, terrifying technology, weapons of mass destruction could kill millions of people in a single attack. But where our Pentagon, I believe, wants to put their attention is on what could bite us coming over the horizon in terms of changes in the technology profile. And then you have to think about what the balance should be also with our domestic spending priorities and whether we want to pour all kinds of money into systems that are already the best in class from my perspective, the United States nuclear arsenal, when in fact those capabilities are adequate to our deterrence and we've got domestic spending priorities. We need to think about health care, education, making sure that our infrastructure, our road system and bridges are the best in the world and continuing to serve us well. It is rather interesting that the current ambassador from Russia here in Washington, D.C., happens to be Ambassador Antonov, who happens to be the person who negotiated directly with you the New START agreement. What was it like to negotiate, and how do these deals actually get done? How long did it take you to do it? It's tough. The Russians are always tough, and many generations of arms control negotiators can attest to that, not only on arms control matters, but the Russians happen to be pretty tough at the negotiating table no matter what. 
I would like to say that we had excellent technical teams on both sides who knew their stuff really well, weapon systems operators, inspectors who had worked either in the Russian Federation, U.S. inspectors or Russian inspectors who had come to U.S. facilities over the years, top-notch technical people on both sides. And so in a way, Anatoly and I had the hard work of busting through the problems that they could not resolve themselves. And that's always the job of the top negotiators. But we ended up with a good working relationship, met very, very regularly, worked together very closely in both Russian and English, I may say, because we'd have note takers with us who knew both Russian and English. And with that kind of close day in, day out problem solving going on, we ended up, I think, with a good store of mutual confidence that helped us to get the treaty done quickly. Does the U.S. still have teams of negotiators now? Who would do this? There's no question in my mind. I know there's been a lot of hand-wringing over this issue. But to be honest, those same technical teams are around. We still have inspectors going to Russia 18 times a year, same Russians coming here 18 times a year under New START. We have the weapon systems operators. Those people are natural negotiators. They're natural diplomats. Of course, they need guidance. They need the guidance that comes from Washington. They need the guidance that comes from their head of delegation. But I feel confident that if we needed to negotiate a new deal tomorrow, we could pull the teams together. Both Rose Gottmiller and John Byerly say the most important element in reaching arms control agreements is hands-on involvement by the Russian and American presidents. In the case of the New START Treaty, you had an unusual situation in that both presidents, President Obama and then President Medvedev, had made it an explicit goal of their relationship and the relationship they were trying to build between Russia and the United States, an explicit goal that they would get this treaty done in a year. And their hands-on involvement in this sometimes surprised me as ambassador. I was in on some of these calls where President Obama and Medvedev were talking about details of telemetry, a pretty arcane issue for presidents to be talking about. But the bottom line was always, we will instruct our negotiators to get this done. And and Rose can tell you and Antonov would say the same thing. When you have the president breathing down your neck, it's sometimes easier to get to compromises than if they're not. <laughs> Although I have to say that both Obama and Medvedev used to joke that they never expected to have to talk about telemetry and they never wanted to talk about telemetry again. So <laughs> that too lent a certain energy to the negotiations. Yeah. President Obama once called it, oh, no, are we going to do the T word again? You know, Rose, I've talked with people like when I talk about Russia with groups and I don't think a lot of people really realize the stakes here. Really, our security and stability is based on the fact that we have parity in numbers between the two sides and that we know and they know that they could never succeed in a first strike. They would never succeed in a strike that would prevent us from retaliating. So it's arcane. And for that reason, I think young people don't like to think about it. And it's kind of, okay, well, it's been okay. It's been stable for the last 60 years. Why would it ever destabilize? Why should we ever have to worry about nuclear weapons in the way that we, as Cold War babies, had to think about it? Particularly, I think all three of us lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis. So we remember that time quite vividly. I think, frankly, I've been glad that there's interest emerging from young people coming in some ways on the heels of things like this film Chernobyl, where people are recognizing the impact of nuclear radiation on the environment. And then they think about that in a nuclear war and they say, oh, we have to be worried. 
And John, I guess Rose is really talking about MAD, Mutual Assured Mm -hmm. Destruction, which is really this philosophical construct, really, that if one side knows that the other guy can wipe them out, they won't do anything because it will mean mutual destruction. Mm -hmm. Is that still valid? Oh, I think it is still valid, and it has to remain the cornerstone of nuclear doctrine in both countries. We spent a long time in the 1950s arguing about this in our own country, and we had many people who were seeking nuclear supremacy. And over the years, it became clear that that was an illusory goal that was even something dangerous to contemplate. What worries me now is that as we have new systems that we're developing that are very impressive, super powerful, I'm afraid it gives some hawks the impression that we should again begin to think of the concept of nuclear supremacy as something that will work for us and be in our interests. And I think that would be a terrible mistake to make. We need to go forward on the idea, as you said, that we're very capable of wiping each other out very, very quickly. And that serves as the deterrent from the use of these weapons in the first place. I have to be honest, I'm not neutral on this subject. Two weeks before I spoke with Rose Gottmuller and John Byerly, I joined Russian and American colleagues in Dayton, Ohio, for a meeting of the Dartmouth Conference. It's the oldest continual bilateral dialogue between Americans and Russians, founded almost 60 years ago during one of the darkest periods of the Cold War. Several members are former top-level military and diplomatic officials. Watching the faces, I could see the alarm that the New START agreement was hanging by a thread. And for the first time in the group's history, we issued an extraordinary public appeal. For the first time in our history, we are compelled by the urgency of the situation to issue this public appeal to our governments. Founded on our view that the clear threat of an uncontrolled nuclear arms race has reemerged with the collapse in recent years of key elements of the post-Cold War arms control architecture. That evening, after drafting our appeal, we and our Russian colleagues visited the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force in Dayton. In a mammoth hall, the missile gallery, 140 feet high, built like a silo, we stood craning our necks, dwarfed by Titan I and Jupiter missiles. All of the thousands of missiles the United States produced over the decades were designed to annihilate Moscow and other Russian cities where our colleagues and their families live. And in Russia, thousands of similar missiles were forged to destroy American cities. It was a sobering visit, as we all realized that could still happen. Kennan X is a product of the Kennan Institute at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars in Washington, D.C. It's the Wilson Center's oldest program, founded in 1974 by George F. Kennan, American statesman, James Billington, historian and former librarian of Congress, and historian S. Frederick Starr. Inspired by them, the Kennan Institute's mission is to improve America's understanding of Russia and the wider region. Thanks for listening.